G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Okay, so the Jesus we read about in the Bible was into miracles. Okay, fine. But his first public miracle, well, would you really expect him to go for turning water into wine? I mean, couldn't he have found something just a bit more appropriate? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and welcome again to the program as we take a look at signs, wonders and miracles from a different perspective. Okay, signs, wonders and miracles, they're in the Bible. Are they myths? Are they fables? Are they allegories? That's what some people think. Are they historical events that happened way back when, a few thousand years ago or more, and that's it? Or is God still in the business of performing miracles today, suspending the natural order, allowing the supernatural to break into the natural to do things that completely defy nature, completely defy our understanding? What do you think? Here's what I think. If my Bible, God's love letter, God's living word, says that Jesus and the apostles and others actually performed miracles, healing the sick, feeding the thousands, walking on water, if that's what God's word says, then that's what I'm going to believe. And there's something else about God's word, something that it doesn't say. It doesn't say that signs, wonders and miracles ceased at any point. And so I'm believing that God is still in control, that God still brings all things together for good for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. And still, every now and then, he disrupts the natural order of things with a supernatural, sovereign, powerful, loving intervention that you and I would call a miracle. I've seen too many people prayed for and healed not to believe that. I've seen God intervene in situations that seemed totally impossible after I or others had prayed far too many times to write all those things off as coincidences. Combine God's word and what I've seen with my own eyes, and I can't help but come to the conclusion that miracles are real and that God is still in the business of doing them from time to time when it suits his purposes. And the first miracle in John's Gospel, the one that we're going to look at today, is one such miracle. It has to fit in the category of something that suits God's purposes, because nothing else explains it. It's such a, a weird miracle. Let's have a listen as I read this from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour hasn't yet come. His mother said to the servants, Just do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water which had now become wine, he didn't know where it had come from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. 
but you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana in Galilee, and it manifested his glory. His disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Hey, it's totally weird, this one, isn't it? I mean, healing the blind, the sick, the lame, I get that. That makes sense. Even feeding the 5,000 people who are out there somewhere in the middle of nowhere listening to Jesus. Sure, I get that. But turning water into wine because someone's planning wasn't good enough to make sure there was enough grog at the party? Really, the first public miracle of the supposed son of the living God, God himself on the planet? What's that got to say about God? Well, the first thing it tells me is that God isn't helping us with real world problems. This was a real world problem that the groomsman was facing here. I mean, we're talking serious embarrassment. Weddings went on for days back then in the first century. And when a father had a daughter, when she was first born, he would put down a cask of wine in the cellar and each year thereafter another cask for her birthday. So by the time she was married in her mid to late teens, he'd have some really good mature old wine, some newer wine and then some of the really fresh stuff that wasn't quite as good. That's what the steward was referring to about drinking the best wine first and leaving the younger wine until people were slightly inebriated. Now, Jesus had no real intention here of doing anything until his mother Mary gives him a a gentle dig in the ribs. I love that. The Son of God, aged around 30 years old, still does what his mother tells him to do. There's a bit of a lesson in that alone for some people. So the wedding runs out of wine. Our edgy, radical saviour, when, according to the steward's own assessment, a good many of the people had already had a good deal too much to drink, Jesus gets up, he looks around, Okay, what's available for this miracle? Well, over here are these huge stone jars, six of them, each one holding 20 to 30 gallons. Hey, that's 120 to 180 gallons, or like 550 to 800 litres of water. I don't know how big this wedding was, but that's a huge amount of water, and it's a huge amount of wine. And without doing anything much, just commanding the servants to fill the jars up to the brim, Jesus, through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, turns the water into wine. And not just any wine, the very best wine. So what's going on here? Well, a few things. There was a practical need and Jesus met the need. Okay, that's what he did back then. But how many weddings have you been to recently where they've run out of wine and someone prayed and and God did that sort of a miracle? No, me neither. So there must be something else going on here that speaks into our situation, into your life, into my life. Well, as it turns out, there is. There are two other things. The first is what Jesus uses to create the wine and what the wine symbolises. He uses the religious symbols of the day, the ritual purification water. Of course, the Old Testament commanded people to purify themselves and certain purification rites were prescribed. But by now, by this time, people were were taking that a bit far. They were turning God's laws into religious rituals. So Jesus grabs the symbols of those religious rituals and transforms them into a symbol of God's abundant blessing, which is wine. Through this miracle, God's saying something powerful. The old is about to pass away and the new is about to come. That's why this is Jesus' very first miracle. Old, rule-based, law-based religion is about to go out the door and it's about to be replaced by something much better, 
the abundant grace and blessing that only comes through Jesus. See, that's the megaphone message behind this miracle. And it's a message that rings down through the centuries to you and me here and now. The miracle of the transformation of our lives, when we believe in Jesus, is the end of our judgment under God's law and the beginning of sweet, pure, beautiful, and yes, intoxicating grace in Jesus Christ. Let that message ring loud and clear and pure and true in your heart. The transformation of our lives through the power of grace isn't some theory lesson. It's real. It's alive. And it's totally miraculous. And the other thing, the second thing that's going on here is that God brings glory to himself. Listen again to the people's reactions when they saw the miracle. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. God's miracles always bring God the glory. The reason John calls them signs is because they point to the authentic power and love of God in Jesus Christ. My friend, God is still doing some miracles now. If only we'd go to him in the midst of our very real, very practical needs and ask him, haven't ever received a miracle yet? Perhaps that's because you haven't asked him yet with the sort of expectancy that Jesus calls faith. today, I was just wondering if I could ask for your input, a bit of help, if you will, to guide me along the way. As you might imagine, we receive a lot of feedback to a different perspective from right around the world. And one of the most common things people say is, I wish you could teach more about subject X or whatever. So that got me to thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could be a bit more deliberate about that? Wouldn't it be great if I could get your input on the teaching topics that would really speak into your life? So could I ask you, when you have a moment, to head across to teachingtopics.org to have your say. It'll only take you a couple of minutes, and who knows how many other people right across the globe might be blessed by your God-inspired ideas. That web address again is teachingtopics.org. Just a few minutes of your time could have a powerful impact that ripples out into countless places that we can't even begin to imagine. I'm Bernie Diamond. Catch you again, same time tomorrow, with a different perspective. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.